Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And my name is Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are sharing our opinions on things every freelance musician should know before taking the gig. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah. There is a lot. (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, there is. (laughs) This is more like Dustin thing than it is mine i mean i've done a little bit of it but you're definitely going to be um the firsthand freelance musician (laughs) and i'm going to be the more of the person that has hired a bunch of freelance musicians which is a great perspective yeah we're both kind of coming from different places um for sure on this topic so hopefully it's kind of pretty well-rounded that's always hard for me to say (laughs) well well well-rounded we're well-rounded musicians (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, every musician has probably found themselves in a situation where they weren't fully prepared for the gig. Um, whether that was just like you lacked music theory knowledge or famous references. Um, cause I've definitely been in the studio where people are throwing out ideas and I've never heard of the reference or oh, the band yeah. or anything. Definitely. Um, it's a situation that happens a lot. Um, or even knowing how to uh, troubleshoot your equipment, uh, malfunctions. It's um, it's definitely something that happens pretty much every time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so there are a lot of situations that can just be avoided. And that's basically what we're going to talk about today. Just to kind of give you an idea, if being a freelance musician is a goal of yours, um, there's a lot to know um, that you know, can kind of save you time and stress and hopefully can make you not lose gigs in the future. That's <laughs> yeah. the, that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for sure. Yeah. 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 So I guess let's start with just like music theory, um, stuff. And this is obviously going to kind of differ depending on what instrument you're playing, but at the base level, it's pretty much the same stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as always, we're kind of mostly coming from the string instrument perspective Um, but we still have differences in Dustin plays bass. So you're coming from like understanding chord theory from a monophonic side. Sure. And I'm Mm -hmm. coming more from like, you know, knowing, uh, different voicings and stuff like that, kind of how to fit better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just get started. So Dustin, uh, you go ahead first. What is, um, just some basic theory stuff that you feel like, um, you just have to know as a freelance musician getting, getting hired for gigs. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the first one that I had on my list was, um, chord construction. So, uh, basically this just means like, you know, knowing how to create a major chord versus a minor chord versus a diminished chord. Um, and then, you know, kind of expanding beyond just the basic triads. And for those who don't know, triads as, as the name kind of implies is just like a three note chord. Generally, that means we're going to have a root note and then some kind of uh, third or color tone. So it could be a third, whether it's major or minor, or it could also be like a second or a fourth. Um, And then usually a fifth, a perfect fifth. Um, 
And then sometimes like when you have like seventh chords, then you're going to have an extra note in there. And if you're playing like jazz or anything that's kind of jazz influenced, um, you're going to run into uh, a lot of those chords. So just being able to play those on the bass or the guitar, keys, whatever. Um, and why it's important on bass is because like generally like our job is to outline the chord. So that doesn't mean that we're always going to be playing like every note of the chord, but being able to play the core foundations of it is super important. Um, and it saves a lot of time because that way, like somebody says, okay, we're going to go to the four chord and, and this, you know, gets into like Nashville numbers, which we haven't talked about a lot yet, maybe for another episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like knowing, okay, this is going to be a major chord and this is how it's shaped on my instrument and this is the different locations I can play it. Um, so just being like well-versed in something like that can really help. Um, Definitely. And I think, um, and I'm not a bass player by trade, but I think in my experience, the smaller the group, the more important it is to understand that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to be like the harmony, at least when somebody is like soloing or... Right, exactly. You, know, you yeah, lose yeah. the melody for a second. Like a lot of times if it's just, you know, bass, drums and some solo instrument, whether that's guitar or even more difficult, like a horn, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. when it gets really important because then you lose the harmony pretty much altogether. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's great. And then I would kind of expand on that too. Um, understanding how chords relate to each other. So like knowing, and you don't have to like, I don't, I feel like you can be a really um, great freelance musician without memorizing the circle of fifths, but at least having yeah. an understanding of what it looks like on your instrument. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like knowing mm -hmm. on guitar, like it's kind of a boxy thing it going is. through the circle of fifths. So that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> but on other instruments, it's not quite so easy. But I think just having an understanding of how the chords relate to each other. And that could also just go to keys as well. Sure. Like yeah. knowing, um, you know, knowing where not to go in a key is just as important as knowing where to go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and that depends on the style of music too. But I think um, if you just follow like the rules of music theory, you're going to be okay in most like pop situations. Right. Um, it kind of can get, you know, in jazz, you can get a little bit out of the the rules, but I think that it really matters for ninety percent of the gigs that you take to, yeah. to know that kind of stuff. Definitely, um, and that kind of ties into to just like common chord progressions, like knowing. And you could do it with the Nashville number system, yep. but you could also just kind of know what they sound like or yeah. know what chords fit. You don't have to do the number system. I know a lot of people um, don't pre even prefer that. Uh, which is interesting because I definitely think it's worth learning. Yeah. Oh, for I mean, it, it's changed everything for me because, right. uh, you know, as, as we've probably mentioned this before about it. And, and again, we'll do a more uh, focused episode on this sometime, but um, it really makes communication a lot faster. Um, if even if you don't know, like the number system super well, if somebody can be like, oh, you know, look, the chord progression for uh say it ain't so like you know if, right. you, if you can hear that in your head you can kind of apply it to what you're playing um and having you know back to the circle of fifths just that like that physical visual representation on your instrument of what that looks like um can make playing the song a lot a lot easier and faster um and uh and it can also just i feel like uh like 
you start to see these patterns. So it, it makes learning stuff easier, even stuff that you just want to learn for yourself for fun. Um, because now you have these like internal references that you can be like, Oh, okay. I know what that is. I've heard this before. I just need to move it to the right notes. Yeah. You know, and I was actually about to say that same thing. It's just kind of like you can relate it to other things mm-hmm. a lot easier yep. if you just learn like the basics. And that could honestly just be like getting like music theory book one from somewhere. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't, yeah. you don't have to get super deep into it for most situations. And obviously the, the deeper that you go, um, genre wise, <laughs> that kind of changes. But yes, I think like, just basic music theory can get you through most things like mo- most pop gigs. I mean, Oh, for sure. For sure. Cause um, like most of that stuff is usually relatively simple. So you're only yeah. going to need to know like, you know, a couple of different chord progressions and a couple of different shapes. And then it's, then it's going to come down to like another aspect of, of important things to know, like common rhythms right. and grooves. Cause you can take a common chord progression, like a one, four, five, and then play it in different rhythms, you know, whether it's going to be more like Latin or Afro-Cuban versus like traditional swing or, you know, a waltz or something like that. Um, so knowing how to how to play around those different grooves. Um, and, and this is really important for guitar players as well to like, uh, you know, not just bass players, not just drummers and rhythm section, but like, you know, kind of back to the whole like knowing what not to play rhythmically is also really important because I feel like, you know, it, it can kind of solidify this idea. Okay. Well, like normally I'm a rock guitar player, but this song is a funk song. So I need to not dig in super hard and I need <laughs> to not be doing power chords. Right. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, I think really, really can be very, um, helpful and, and it, it'll help you latch onto rhythms a lot faster. And again, back to learning the, the, the song quickly when you're a freelancer, a lot of the time, uh, time is of the essence. And, right. you know, whether it's studio time or it's like, okay, we only have one rehearsal before this gig. We got to make sure we, we get everything down this one, this first time kind of thing. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, I was going to say, I think in most modern music, rhythm is probably more important than harmony. <laughs> Cause a lot also, of, a lot of mean? like, I don't know, like a lot of pop songs that I listen to, they're I mean, honestly, a lot of them are the same harmony. It's just the rhythm oh. that's making them different. Yeah, I see what you mean. You know, or yeah. just like, you know, with um, like rap or hip hop music, like rhythm, I would say is most definitely more important than yeah. harmony. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, right a lot that. of times Absolutely. there's there's really not even a harmony line. There may be like a melody line mm-hmm. and like a rhythm beat or something. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Um so I don't know. I think depending on the genre, like some of these things are definitely more important to know than others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that's good. And I would say too, like if you want to understand, um, like I think this would really go more towards understanding creating melodies for counter melody parts, or if you have to improvise like a solo or something mm-hmm. like understanding, scales and how they relate to chords is like just as important as knowing the chords. Yeah, definitely. Um, because also like there are some scales that can fit over most progressions as long as you're in the right key, like pentatonic scales. Right. Like you can kind of stay in that because there's really not any color notes in the pentatonic scale. So as long as you're in the right key 
and understand like relative major and minor, you're usually going to be okay. But if you want more interesting solos, understanding like the color notes and how they fit over the chords mm -hmm. is more important. Um, and obviously that gets more important too, the more you get into like jazz and stuff like their fusion. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything like that. Uh, but that would be, I mean, the scales are honestly probably the foundation for bass, right? Like yeah. the scales are understanding mm -hmm. which scales build the chords is almost more than knowing the chords. I guess yeah. they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, they do, but, but I mean, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll agree, at least for me, like yeah. having scales and like modes was huge because it really opened up the door, especially like for like improv situations where it's like, okay, keyboard player, guitar player, whatever, they're playing uh, a minor nine chord, right? So mm -hmm. for those listening who don't know, a minor nine is just a minor chord with the second scale degree like an octave higher. It just kind of has this like more like um, almost suspended sound where it mm -hmm. feels like quite a little unfinished. Um, and there's like several scales like Dorian, for example, or the natural minor scale, also known as the Aeolian mode. Both of those scales could work over the minor nine. And you want to know which one's going to be the right <laughs> one for the setting because one of them has what's called a flat six and the other has what's called a, a natural six or a major six or whatever. And those are very different sounds. Again, we'll, we'll do another episode where we have like true comparisons of this stuff where you can really hear the difference. Um, but trust me when I say it makes a massive difference. So. Yeah. No, and a lot of that could go because um, just being like perfectly honest, in most like singer-songwriter settings, there's usually not extensions. Yeah. So right. if they're playing like an A minor chord, you could really do either scale and it would sound fine because mm -hmm. there's no like extended notes in there to make it sound any different. But where it does matter is if regardless of if they're just playing an A minor chord on their guitar, you have to be able to listen to their melody line yep. because that's really, that's where the scale is. So if they're never using a six, right, then mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> then you're like, you can still do whatever you want. But if in part of their melody, they're using a sharp six or I guess a major six, or a natural six, sorry, or a flat six, which would be minor, um, like the Aeolian mode, like Dustin was saying, that can really, <laughs> it can just kind of make it sound weird all of a sudden. For sure. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess just listen to the melody line because more often than not, that's where you're getting your scale reference. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that kind of depends on genre too. But I'm just saying like in most, like especially like singer, songwriter, guitar player genres, extended chords aren't always <laughs> going to be being played. It's yeah. going to a lot of times just be triads basically. Yeah, for sure. Open triads. Um so yeah, definitely listen to the melody line. That's where you're going to get a lot of your color um, kind of stuff. Um, but then like we've talked about in the past too, kind of going beyond the modes themselves, kind of mm -hmm. understanding like, um, you know, melodic minor and um, harmonic minor. Because mm -hmm. um, that can really create interesting music. And that's like, if we if you have any like Muse fans, um, that listen to this podcast, they kind of stay in the harmonic minor realm a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's kind of where, <laughs> where they live. Matt, Matt Bellamy. <laughs> Mount Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of where he stays um, and where he lives. 
And another thing too, going on the muse thing for a second, understanding like, so I feel like one of the ways I've always described it is there's kind of three levels to, um, it's, they're basically the same idea. Like scales, arpeggios and chords are all kind of the same idea. Mm -hmm. It's just, (laughs) it's just, um, how you're playing them in the moment. Yeah. So scales are just kind of like the single note formula for arpeggios and chords. Arpeggios are basically the same idea as chords, but played not at the same time. They're played Mm -hmm. in sequence. So you're basically jumping around the scale in different intervals. And then chords are playing those arpeggios at the same time. Right. But they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, they really are. Totally. Like once you understand like the scale... And then the chord, the arpeggios are just playing those notes separately. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So, um, but with my muse example, how I was going to tie that in is that's another tool that they use all the time is like arpeggios. It's just like arpeggiated, like, and then it just kind of moves with the chord changes. I don't know. I listened to a Muse album on my way here today. <laughs> so I'm like in this weird like no, it's Muse true, mode. It's, true. Um, it's very true. A lot of the bass lines tend to to kind of ar- uh, arpeggiate the chords too. Just like I was mentioning earlier with bass players needing right. to know that stuff. Um, right. And for guitar, it kind of, the more that you get into, um, uh, well, I mean, it kind of depends. It <laughs> With jazz, you do play arpeggios a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but metal. where I always think of them is metal. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just like, that's kind of the formula of like the shred metal oh, yeah. guitar solo. It's just mm-hmm. like, look at how fast I can play my arpeggios. Yeah, it's like sweeping and all that <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah. Totally. But it's, you know, it's basically the same idea. It's just how much distortion you have on your guitar, right. I guess. That's really the only difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then I, I feel like... Um, kind of where all of that comes together. And this is definitely not something that you have to know how to do, but it definitely helps in the freelance realm Mm -hmm. (laughs) things is knowing how to read music. Yep. Um, And obviously if you can read that at first glance, that's going to be optimal. (laughs) So sight reading. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you guys have never heard of sight reading, it's basically what I was just saying. It's just reading sheet music. Um, like you would read a book. So you just, it gets put in front of you and then you just are able to read it on command. Um, and that's definitely helpful. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've never been to a studio session that wasn't like jazz based that actually gave me sheet music. Mm-hmm. Um, like the only time I've really had to sight read sheet music was like playing saxophone in like a classical setting or like a jazz band setting. Right. Right. That's, that's really the only time that's been applicable for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, what about for you? Um, I've pretty much been the same situation. Like, like I don't sight read a lot and I'm, and, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like I'm not super great at it. So like all these things we've listed so far, like you don't need these to be a successful, like professional freelance musician, but they make the job easier Um, and it will also open the doors for opportunities. So like, you know, there's going to be some gigs that I just can't take because I'm not a super fast sight reader. Now, if I've been given some time to work on it and I've got like, I don't know, a month or so, or, you know, if it's like a a lot of music or if it's just like one or two pieces and I've got like a week, 
I can sit down and, and suss it out. But um, it's definitely not like my preferred approach and it's not like what I generally get hired to do. Um, but it has helped a lot um, as far as, as getting me some work that I might not otherwise be able to get, um, like playing for some musicals or um, I've actually got like a remote session I'm, I'm working on uh, over the next week or so that's going to be sight reading. Um, thankfully, it's nothing too crazy. Um, and I can also just like listen to the reference track and kind of figure it out. But um, it definitely helps. And, um, and you know, if you want to get like, if you want to be like um, a freelance like cellist going into studios and laying down a cello track for a rock band or something like you're pretty much going to be sight reading, I think, like unless they're just like, oh, you know, do your thing, like go by ear, which is common, happens all the time. Yeah. But it also is common to to walk in and, and like there is like an arranger and a composer who's already written a part. So like you're going to be want to be able to play that part. Um, so being able to sight read is going to make that a lot easier. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think it depends on who you're working with. Um, it would definitely suck though to not know how to sight read and show up for a studio session and they put sheet music in front of you and hit record. Yeah. <laughs> that would really fucking suck. So you should probably work on it. Yeah. Know what you're going into. <laughs> well, that too. For yeah. Sure. That know definitely would help. <laughs> but I just, I had this scenario in my head cause I could tell that's definitely happened. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. to a bunch of people. Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> like, yeah have no idea how to actually read music and you get to the session because you are a good player. Mm -hmm. uh, but that really doesn't do you all that much good when there's sheet music that you have to follow note right. for note. Yeah. Um, and even with the sheet music thing, I would say the first step that really helps with the sight reading stuff is just to get really good at sight reading rhythms. Yes. Because that's honestly more important in my opinion than sight reading the notes perfectly, which I know that sounds weird, but in your first run through, if you can at least get the rhythms right, you're at least going to stay with the band. Yeah, totally, um, totally. Whereas then on your second take, you can pay more attention to the notes. But you almost want the sight reading, the rhythms thing, you want that to be just like, you literally don't even have to think about it unless something is like really weird and there's crazy syncopation or something which does happen but if it's somewhat simple or you know you basically want to get practiced enough on it to the point where you don't have to think about the rhythms yeah you're just paying attention to the notes and then honestly the goal would be you don't have to think about either it's almost like reading a script or something right right yeah <laughs> but that takes a really long time and a lot of practice um but yeah sight reading i mean it is super helpful. Like it, it's very helpful to know how to read music in general. Um, just because it's a really good way to communicate with people quickly. Yep. Um, and that's honestly the most applicable reason to learn it is the communication thing. Um, because like we've said in past episodes, you don't want to just get caught up in having to really focus and concentrate on reading it. You really want it to become so second nature that you're still listening to the music and trying to fit in the best you can and reading it is just how you're knowing what to play. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But you know, that just takes time. Um, and I would say that one's probably the, I hate to say the last step, but it's, it's really not that applicable. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, to tag off of what you were saying with like, you know, knowing the rhythms first, 
Um, like I, there's so many, most sight reading, uh, charts in my experience have the chord, uh, listed above the bar that you're playing. So like, even if you have trouble, like figuring out what note it's supposed to be, if you know, those arpeggios, the scales, the chord construction, um, how it contextually fits into the key then you can honestly just kind of suss it out. Like, mm -hmm. like it's, oh, it's a D minor seven. Okay, well, I'm probably not going to play an F sharp. Right. Like, you know, so like if I can get that, then focus more on the rhythm, like being able to play the part is is a lot easier. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a, a sight reading situation where it's like, I honestly, I had to learn it fast and I didn't really like learn every single note and, and like, you know, perfectly. It's like, oh, okay, I can look at that ledger line and know, oh, that's a B. Instead, it was like, okay, this is the, the two chord of the key. I know this is going to be a Dorian scale. Okay, so as long as I follow that pattern and I can kind of see, I don't know, like the distance between notes, I can figure out if it's a half step or a whole step. Uh, and then from there, follow the rhythm and you're pretty much going to be good to go if, if you have a good sense of the other stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they all kind of, honestly, if you're coming from like square one with the music theory stuff try to kind of do it all at once um and what i mean by that is when you're learning your scales learn them with sheet music so that you're learning the notes yeah. on sheet music at the same time that helps like sure. that's going to be the the best way to do that in my opinion um but that is going to make it you're going to have to really focus and like because you're going to be learning like four things at the same time uh, but it is easier to do it that way than to try to do four things at different times. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, um, I would say, you know, yeah. I mean, basically the music theory stuff is really helpful. You don't have to have it, but it, depending on what you are doing, you sometimes do. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> so sure. It depends on the gig. Yeah. depends on your job title, whatever. For sure. Um, I would say, like, in conclusion of the music theory portion of this, like, the biggest things I would say... Uh, at least for bass and, and probably for guitar too, is chord construction. Um, uh, basic scales specifically, know your pentatonics, major and minor, and ideally know their different positions. Um, and then like know your major scale. I think everything else, like, because arpeggios, like you said earlier, is, it's a chord. It's yeah. just a chord one note at a time. And then the most common scales you're going to use are going to be major and pentatonics. And then if you want to get into the more weird scales then maybe harmonic minor because as you mentioned like muse uses a lot but they're not the only ones like a lot of people like no, santana yeah. it's all over his material anything with a latin flair is probably going to use harmonic minor anything classical is probably going to use harmonic minor so that's a good one to know um but then the other stuff i mean you know if you've got a decent sense of feel you can kind of figure out the rest yeah. And I would say, too, you know, when you're practicing all of this stuff, especially with the rhythms, obviously, um, do it to a click um, because that is something that you're going to have to do in recording settings. Yes. And it's super embarrassing to not be able to do that. Yeah. Got to play to a click. Yeah. Got to so, know how to do that. And I know a lot of people are like, but that's going to mess up my feel. That's actually not true. I mean, you can still swing to a click. But still oh, play yeah. to a click. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, it's like the click is more so so that we can all stay together and so that we can edit it a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. So it's not, you don't have to ruin your feel. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like 
robotic sounding to just stay on time. Right. You can still swing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just get over it and do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So then I would say um, the next thing that we should talk about is just kind of basically like understanding your instrument and how to operate it. Um, And this could be to, well, let's just first say like how to get the right sound. So like the Mm -hmm. tone, the EQ, um, you know, your pedals, if you use pedals, your sounds in um, your DAW, if that's kind of your way of going about it. But Mm -hmm. basically just like really developing an understanding of what you're using. Yeah. It's so important. So, so important. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like the most recent example of something that I bought that, you know, it it was a big learning curve was the, uh, my pedal unit or my amp modeling unit, the line six helix. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that was totally different for me. Um, I had never had, um, something that was going to require a learning curve like that. Sure. Except yeah. for maybe like a keyboard or something yeah. like that, that comes with a bunch of sounds and you can like use it as a USB interface, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like really it's it, when you buy a new piece of equipment, try to understand everything that it can do because you never know when it's going to be able to help you Yeah, for, for when sure. you're going to need that thing. Um, just for example, this has happened several times for me with the helix is the helix can do multiple outs all at once, mm-hmm. multiple outputs. So being able to do that very quickly, being able to set up a DI output where there's no effects going through it at all in tandem with a wet output mm-hmm. where all of the effects are going through and just knowing how to do that really quickly yeah. is a really big deal. Yeah, it is. Like in studio sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause then they can, you don't have to sit there and like, try to figure out how to use it, you kind of already know. Right. So that's an example that has happened to me like two times very recently. Yeah. (laughs) That I've had to know how to do that. And like I had forgotten a little bit and I had to like try to remember like, okay, what screen was that on? And it just kind of sucks. Yeah. So just knowing like how to work your shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. For sure. Um, Yeah. I think like for me, it's often been in, in situations where like, um, knowing like depending on the room you're in and uh knowing like what frequencies you might need to boost or cut um like i think we've mentioned this example before but we had a gig a while back where the room was really boomy um so uh i knew from from just doing this for a while that i had to um cut some of like the subs on on my amplifier but you might not know to do that if if you haven't had that experience before because sometimes there's a fine line between like subs for example and then like low mids um you know and like that subtle difference can change everything yeah well i think in eq where that kind of matters and we've talked about that a little bit is everybody's first instinct is volume right because that's just like where everybody's brain goes Mm -hmm. so say that your bass your sub eq is like too high a lot of times the solution that everybody just gives is just turn the bass down, which really isn't going to solve your problem. Right. Because it's not the volume that's the issue. It's yeah. just the the bass frequency is pumping. <laughs> so like, right. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And turning mm-hmm. it down isn't really going to get rid of that. It's just going to make it boom a little 
in a different area, I guess, yeah, but it's still yeah, yeah. going to boom just as much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, depending on this, like the setting or the setup of the group or whatever, that can have a huge impact on the sound. And it's even more so in like mixing and recording, um, just because everybody's first instinct is just like, oh, the guitar is too loud. And like, it's really not. It's just either in the wrong place like in the spectrum of sound mm -hmm. or like some frequency is coming in way too hot and it's just making it where you can't hear whatever it is that you're trying to hear right yeah like the eq thing that <laughs> that was a huge like aha moment for me learning about like eq yeah it kind of changed the game yeah for me, for me personally yeah i mean for sure because it solves so many problems with uh, and it just can make things sound so much better, uh, especially when everybody's solution is always volume. Yeah. You know, right, you're yeah. like, okay, well, like if I turn it up anymore, it's going to like distort. Right. And that, if it gets to that point, then you know that it's not volume. Yeah. But it, it is always amazing how people just keep turning stuff up Dude, until everything is like clipping. Yeah. And it just sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. So um, EQ is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and like on that note, um, there's, you know, it kind of depends on what type of band you are, like the size of your band, what, what instruments are in your band, what genre you're playing. So like, you know, um, and, and so if, for example, like if, if you're playing, you know, as like a five piece metal band or something, and a lot of, a lot of like modern metal guitars tend to be a little darker. I've noticed, and the bass has actually become a little more present in the mix, a little more like overdrive distortion kind of pushing pu pushing the tones. Talking um, about corn. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> don't even get me started. Um, but uh, which is, you know, it's cool. It's it's, it's part of the sound. It's a thing. But um, like you sh you need to know like what's going to work because like if you're in a metal band where your guitar players have a brighter tone. Like you might need to dial back on that stuff on the bass a little bit because if all of you are hitting everything with like bright attack and, and you know, just crunchy sounds, then there's nothing kind of taking up that low end spectrum or not enough taking up the low end spectrum. So then you end up with everything kind of like clashing and colliding and sounding muddy. Um, so that's a lot of the time when you deal with like mud in the mix, it's because like not enough separation of sound is happening, I feel like. So you're not like isolating the members of the band in the best way. Um, so, you know, knowing like the type of tone that works for a certain genre, like, you know, Motown bass should be this thing and metal bass should be this thing. Like I found that that really helps because then I, when I show up to a session, no one's telling me like, oh, I need you to like completely do this to your tone because like I already kind of have an idea of what's going to be right for the song mm -hmm. or for the band. Um, and I can make minor adjustments from there. But um, and I learned this lesson the hard way. I mean, I've definitely played in the past where like, you know, I was used to playing in more like alternative rock stuff. And then I got asked to do a very southern rock style thing. And so my bass tone was a little too bright and like um, and mean for lack of a better word, it had a lot of growl to it, which I love mm -hmm. that tone, but it just wasn't right for the setting. So, you know, I was like, I, I was told that I really had to make a lot of changes and it sucked to hear it, but it was uh, honestly looking back on it. I'm like, I'm really glad I did that. I'm yeah. glad I listened and I'm glad I was told. I know? mean, honestly, a lot of those principles carry over to when you're coming up with like parts or you're working on like 
production stuff, which we'll get into production stuff a little bit later, but um, knowing kind of like if everybody's playing in the same octave, like doing kind of similar stuff, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. also going to get lost. So just honestly, like what I've tried to do is just try to fill the spectrum in every way. Yeah. Like do it EQ wise, do it range wise, like just try to fill the sonic spectrum as much as you can. Um, and what I was talking about earlier with the spectrum that had to do with panning, which is also a really big deal, but more so in recording settings. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it does matter live, but there's only so much you can do about it live because you are on different sides of the stage, unless you're in like a big venue and it doesn't really matter. But in most of like the cases, it, <laughs> you're not going to be able to pan like you want to in a little club because mm-hmm. uh, there's literally you're on this side, they're on that side. Like it's already kind of panned yeah, for you. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think that's that's a really big deal. Um, or if you're a guitar or a bass player, like knowing how to work your amps, um, knowing what headroom is, is a really big deal um, for, for, I think, well, I guess it would be a big deal for everybody, but understanding, I guess what I'm trying to say is how tube amps work. Like knowing that there's only so, like if you're really pushing a tube amp, it's going to just like, that's its job. Yeah. Like it's going to break right. up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like knowing that, knowing, um, you know, like attenuators, um, which is, you know, basically making it where you can get it to break up without turning it on 10, mm-hmm. which really matters more in a live setting because nobody wants you to turn on 10, um, <laughs> really on any amp, <laughs> right? like even a 10 watt amp on 10 is, is loud. It's too loud for most places. Um, they'll still tell you to turn it down. So you know, just knowing like where you're going to get your tone, um, but also how to do it in the realistic way. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, I guess, more of a thing for guitar players. I've seen a lot of like adult temper tantrums about I, if I turn down, it's going to mess up my tone. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just like, well, Getting that's kind of your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were not prepared to play here. For sure. Um, sure. So, yeah. And then, you know knowing um just kind of i i I guess just like basic sound stuff like (laughs) how to like compression eq um like i said earlier what your pedals do um knowing the difference between like delay reverb echo um like vibrato tremolo Mm -hmm. uh like all of the different like effects and stuff that makes a really big deal um Cause I like that just helps with communication. Like if somebody says like, can you turn on a tremolo and you turn on a vibrato? That's not really the same thing. That's not really what they wanted. Um, Cause tremolo and this kind of got confusing because Fender called their um, tremolo system a tremolo system, but mm-hmm. technically tremolo has to do with volume right and not Mm -hmm. pitch yeah (laughs) so everybody got a little confused on that but you know um just knowing the different kinds of effects and stuff like that can make a huge difference and honestly you can learn a lot of that um on youtube or we'll probably have podcast episodes in the future just about effects and stuff um but you know just i don't know i don't know how else to describe it just kind of know what equipment you're using and know what people are trying to communicate 
to yeah. you. And there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of like JHS, uh, the um, pedal um, manufacturer, uh, Josh Scott mm-hmm. is his name. Um, he has a great YouTube channel that he talks about all this stuff on. So if you want to learn more about Dremolo or you want to learn more about tube amps versus solid state, like check out that channel or check out some other stuff that that's out there where you can get a lot more intimate detail. Um, also knowing, I would say things like, um, like what type of cable you should be using for something like some cables <laughs> look and, and, and it sounds silly cause it's like obviously like a mic cable, like a XLR versus an instrument cable is going to look totally different, but there are cables like, instrument cables versus TRS cables mm-hmm. that look Tippering almost sleeve. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right, nerd. Um, Whatever. <laughs> but knowing that makes a big difference. Cause like, like an instrument cable, for example, won't work with a, um, a, uh, expression pedal, but a TRS will. So like, make sure you, I don't know, you just make sure, you know, like you have the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? That gets a little bit into kind of like how, uh, electricity works but honestly if you're playing an electric instrument that would be very helpful to also learn the yes. basics of because <laughs> um, basically you're you if you use the wrong cable you're going to ground yourself and then nothing's going to come out right <laughs> um, so you know just know some basics of stuff like that um and honestly that could help you in way more ways than just being a freelance musician it could make it where like you know how to fix your own shit. Right. Which is really helpful, uh, especially if like you only have one and you're not somewhere where you can get it fixed by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, which does happen. Oh, yeah. So, A lot. you know, knowing the basics of like your hot, your ground, stuff like that. Because um, it's honestly all the same thing. Like, I think people get a little overwhelmed with it because take the cable, for example. They're like, Ooh, it's shiny. And like, all I can see is like metal, plastic, metal, plastic, metal, you know, uh-huh. then you're like, well, that metal is connected to a wire on the inside. So right. it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Like you're, you know, so yeah, just learn a little bit about that stuff. You don't have to be like an electrical engineer. No music stuff is really that complicated. And if it is that complicated, it's usually a circuit board and right. you just have to buy a new one anyway. Yeah. So just learn the basics of that stuff. It would really help. Yeah. 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 And then I would say too, just like, I guess just learning techniques for your instrument. Um, and that's obviously going to vary from instrument to instrument, but, um, I, I guess let's just start with the bass side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, most bass players, uh, are at least going to probably play finger style pizzicato or um, maybe use a pick. Or, Who's you know, the nerd now? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, or a plectrum, if you will. Uh, those are probably the most common. Nowadays, you're seeing a lot more slap. Um, so if you're trying to get into the freelance stuff and you want to get more into the modern music, you might want to up your slap game a little bit. Um, and there's not really one way to do any of this. So uh, seek out different sources and see what they have to say about it. Uh, for bass, I always recommend Scott's Bass Lessons. It's a great channel, and it's frequently there are like guests that come on that are very different from each other and provide a totally different perspective, which can be really good. Um, but also some subtle stuff, I think, for bass that a lot of people forget about. Probably the biggest one is muting. Um, and what I mean by that in two ways. So one is like what you're doing with your plucking hand, how you're muting the strings that aren't being played. If you're, I don't know, playing an A string and your thumb isn't resting 
on the E string or, or another finger, like your ring finger, isn't resting on the E string, then that string is going to ring and create all these like undertones or overtones, I guess, that are going to potentially ruin the song. <laughs> um, or And this is really, really important for recording. You can kind of get away with this sloppy muting technique for live stuff because there's already so much cacophony going on. But um, if you're in like a rock band anyway, but if you're in the studio, like you have to have your muting under control. You just have to do it. Um, so uh, and then also like on top of muting things like ghost notes. So like plucking the string, but like kind of muting it with your fretting hand so that it's uh, a not not an actual pitch is produced, but rather just like a percussive sound. Um that can add like a lot of groove and depth to a bass line. Um, James Jamerson from from the Funk Brothers, which is the Motown backing band, like he he was like pretty incredible at that. He used that all the time in his bass lines, and it added so much movement without having to add notes, which is huge because you know usually when you think oh it needs more movement, you're like oh okay I need to I need to play more, but that's not necessarily the case. So. Um, it's super important to, to work on, on this side of playing, um, because it can actually take your playing like up a notch, like a big notch without having to be overcomplicated. Um, what about guitar? I mean, it's basically the same idea. Um, I think the two most important, at least at first, because everybody always asks me this is like, should I play with a pick or with my fingers? And my response is always like, well, I want you to be able to do both. But usually, at least for the songs that most people want to play, I get them started with a pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because it's the thumb for a lot of people is easier at first just because it's it's not foreign. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's so many things that you can't do um, or so many genres that you really can't do with finger picking because of ghost notes and stuff like that, yeah. which are uh, on guitar. They're more f- popular in like funk and genres like that sure where you're just kind of like dig it dig it you know like that's kind of more um you know more popular in that genre but i think being able to play both is it's been very helpful to me because it made it where i can almost fit in with like most styles of music pretty Mm -hmm. easily Mm -hmm. um like a master of none, but like get by on a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that thing. Renaissance. Um, yeah. Um, cause I did, um, I have this funny story about that. So my good friend, Christy Linnae, shout out. She's amazing. Um, she was staying at my house one night and she was in the floor and she's a classically trained guitar player. And so everything is very, um, technique driven with her finger picking. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's amazing at it. I mean, she's won like all kinds of international awards for her, you know, finger picking style, but she really, um, isn't great with a pick. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, um, she was like amazed at like electric guitar techniques. Uh And so like, it's kind of like we've talked about in the past in order to fit into most settings, you at least need to know a little bit about both. Yeah. Um, And, you know, people could argue that because, yeah, knowing a little bit about both, that means that there's a master of one or the other that could get the gig. And like, yeah, that's true. But in most settings that I've experienced, at least, you don't have to be a master to like get by or like to get the gig. Yeah. Like you just have to know a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of the same idea. Yeah. 
you know, and then I would say beyond that, I honestly feel like being a rhythmic guitar player is more important than being a super good solo player for most gigs. Yeah, for sure. Um, but knowing how to take a guitar solo is always fun. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's all like people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think like I watched a thing with Steve Luth- Lukather recently, who's one of my favorite guitar players. He was like, he's a session guy and he's played with everybody He's the um, he's the rhythm guitar. He's everything but the solo in Michael Jackson's Beat It. And he mm, was okay. saying the solo is Eddie Van Halen, as everybody knows. But he was saying even as good as he is at soloing and Steve Luthker is like a monster, especially mm. at um, like alternate picking soloing. Okay. Like he can he's so fast and yeah. it's so like impressive because that's so hard to do. Um, but he even said like. of the gigs he's ever had in his whole life was just playing rhythm guitar. Yeah. So like it, you know, if you want the gig, you really need to work on your rhythm because that's so underappreciated for so many guitar players. Yeah. They just want to be like the lead player. And like, honestly, most of the time that's not going to get you the gig. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It gets kind of exhausting after a little while of listening to guitar soloing, like shred fest. So, most people don't ask for it that that often. Yeah. I guess it depends on who it is, but if you want to make a a living as a freelance musician, I would say really work on your rhythmic guitar playing, play to a click, work on your chord techniques, switching chords quickly. Um, and do work on finger techniques and pick techniques. Yeah. I would say that kind of is the sum up for the guitar stuff. And I think where that really matters too is like, um, like understanding, say that you get hired for a session and somebody gives you, um, like basic production, um, queries, right? So Mm -hmm. they give you musical references of, I need this to sound more like, um, I don't know. Joe Pass, yeah, or something yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like you'll know exactly like which technique applies to that. Um, like, yep, you know, understanding different players um, uh, of your instrument across genres, across decades, yeah, understanding how the different decades change different techniques. Like, if somebody tells you they want an '80s guitar solo. Like you can open the door. Here's your shred fest stuff. Here's yeah. your arpeggios. So here's good your, reverb. <laughs> yeah. Here's your um, tapping stuff. But if somebody says that they want a grunge guitar solo, even though that's only a few years later, that's going to be completely different. Oh yeah. Completely different approach. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking like, oh well, the early '90s was only like two years after the late '80s, so it's basically the same thing. Like you're probably going to lose the gig because it's definitely not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just within the rock genre. Like that's not even talking like different genres. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, but understanding like how to approach, um, like I said, just different queries. If somebody tells you, um, you know, they need it to be like, even kind of like we were saying in the um, composers for TV and film episode, mm-hmm. like, understanding like soundscape kind of stuff yeah, totally. can really be helpful. Huge. Yeah. yeah. So do you have anything to add to that? 
Um, or any experiences that you've had where somebody's given you a reference that you either felt like you nailed or maybe even when you didn't know and it was like yeah I've, well i've got uh one of each really but um just to keep it brief like i've had situations where i've been asked to do like the carol k thing mm -hmm. and what that means is like a very plunky muted bass tone played with a pick um, usually some like foam on top of, or I think she did on top of, and Jamerson did underneath the strings. Either way, something to mute the strings. Um, it could just be your palm, um, palm muting, but uh, it, it distinctively to me, it's it screams P bass, pick, muted tone. Um, right. And then, you know, alternatively, like one of my very first sessions I ever did, I was asked to play more behind the beat, and I had no idea what that meant. And I was like, uh, you mean play late? I mean, like, okay. And that, I mean, yeah, that's basically what they meant, but not like late, late, <laughs> like just, just a little bit behind. It's you almost know? like a, it, it's kind of like a swung lazy thing. That's what yeah. it sounds like to me. Yeah. Which it's really famous now with Anderson Pack. Yeah. Cause totally. that's kind of mm -hmm. like his whole style. It's yeah. like that. Doo -doo -taka, doo -doo. Yeah. Like it's like so swung that it almost sounds off. But it technically is on with a click. It just, yeah. you know, like, a little weird. <laughs> like, yeah, like like if if you want a better reference of like what that means, you know, there's Anderson Pac. There's like um, uh, like anything reggae. The bass is usually more behind the beat. Um, uh, like Jay Dilla beats are like kind of that swung, like drunk drumming kind of mm -hmm. playing that you're talking about. Um, so, you know, maybe learn some tunes from, from like those artists and you'll kind of start to like learning reggae is actually what helped me learn how to really? play behind the beat. Yeah. So like learning that stuff, I think will, will really help. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's it. Like, um, and this, you know, this ties into kind of like the other thing, the next thing to talk about, which is like, um, basic production stuff, the musical references, like knowing again, like the top forties across the decades and how you can reference the mixing style. Right. Um, think back to the sixties when you had like Phil Spector's wall of sound. I love that sound. Which it's great. It does not work for everything, you know, oh, no. but it's awesome. But it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the little, what are those called that are like, tick, 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 oh, tick, 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 Yeah. Yeah. They're in everything. Yeah. It was such a time. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a, a sound. Or the um, boom, 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 tick, tick, boom. Yeah. <laughs> those are so fun. I yeah. love that. With like spring reverbs and like six layers yeah. of vocals and like, you know, like 20 instruments in the fucking yeah. live room. Like, I love just it. like, and then on the, on the opposite of that, you have like minimalistic production styles, like, like Billie Eilish, maybe for example, a more modern uh, example, like most of, of her stuff, like her and Phineas keep it really simple. And it's a yeah. lot more about like vocal melody, lyrics, how, samples, you know, samples, tones, tones exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and I would say, you know, too, like a lot of that, you can almost assume what you're going to need to do just once you understand the different production styles, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, here was an example that I actually showed my friends the other day because I was trying to decide, like, kind of get it in my head for like what I want the next Hey Dreamer production to sound like, mm -hmm. because I have obviously like, so me, everything song is so different right but i'm like i need to like fit them together in some way mm -hmm. so i just gave them some examples of literally rock songs from basically the same years and they were so different mm -hmm. like i think okay. i gave like wolf mother which honestly they just sound like a band 
live. Yeah. Like there's totally. not a whole lot going on, like production wise. It's pretty bare bones, minimalistic. I mean, it sounds good, but not a lot of studio magic happening in those recordings. Yeah. And then I gave them or at least not not obvious studio magic. Like, right. Like not a bunch of auto-tune that's super right, 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 obvious. Right. Or, or even like, like um overdubbing or, you know, not even a lot of panning and stuff. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? It's mm -hmm. more just like raw. Yeah. And then I went way on left field. I'm not going to give you all the examples I gave them because that's going to take forever. But like Black Label Society. Oh, right? interesting. Also okay. from the early 2000s, uh -huh. but way thicker production. Yeah. Like absolutely balls to the walls. Like everything has its place. Yeah. Everything's overdubbed. Mm -hmm. Everything. I mean, and it sounds massive, right. but completely different style of rock music yeah 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 totally, totally. <laughs> you know so understanding like hopefully in most sessions you'll get some form of a demo or at least some idea of where to come at it mm -hmm. and then I you can so. kind of pre-plan you know what your attack strategy is going to be just right. by listening to it yeah totally um because you'll kind of get um what they're kind of going for um and you know honestly like yeah a lot of artists do want to be original but most of the time they're kind of just recreating something that's happened in the past differently yeah right <laughs> so you can kind of just take what you know and just apply it to something new it's true yeah and um yeah and then like you were saying basic mixing knowing how to play hard and soft self-compression um goes a really long way um yeah because honestly like the studio is just going to capture whatever it is that you're doing so if you're not playing how it needs to sound, there's nothing that they're going to be able to do that's going to make it sound completely different. Yeah. Like right. there's no studio magic for tone. And what I mean by that is like if you're completely playing way too hard with your pick, let's just say, and yeah, like yeah. you're knocking the strings out of tune and it just you're way too aggressive. I don't know of a plugin that's going to fix that. Like yeah, it's just, right. it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with auto tune, like auto tune fixes pitch. It does not fix tone. So, right. and I've run into yeah. that a lot, like producing other artists because they'll be like, Oh, I want this part to hit hard and yeah, they're out of pitch, but they're not hitting it hard enough. So like right. you can't fix that with auto tune or Melodyne. Like that's, that's a pitch software. Like yeah. it's not going to make you sound like a different singer. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> like yeah. there's only so much it can do. And, and um, maybe, you know, as we discussed in the last episode uh, about AI, like maybe in a couple of years, that'll be different. <laughs> like we'll probably. have AI like mimicking and, and voice tracking that can make you sound different. But, um, you know, you better have that shit working real good for a live show. Cause otherwise right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I would say just some, obvious stuff that is going to make you just a more hireable, better freelance musicians, just life stuff, mm -hmm. know how to communicate mm -hmm. with people, know how to interact with your fellow bandmates, your musicians, the sound people, the bartenders at the venue, um, the studio staff, like all of that just, you know, makes sense. Obviously if you are the singer and everybody's bringing in a shit ton of like drum equipment and you're just standing there. They're probably going to get pissed off. Yeah. So, like <laughs> grab a Tom Tom. Like it's yeah. not going to kill you. Yeah. There's a lot of memes <laughs> about that on the internet. Like singers not 
helping with loading. It is usually stuff. singers, and, I yeah. will think. It's yeah. like you bring yourself and you're like, hey, it's right. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then like we were saying earlier, knowing how to fix your stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then honestly just being organized. Um, organization is like one of the biggest enemies for musicians. Oh my God. Um, it's just something that a lot of musicians aren't good at, but it really can make or break it. Um, if you're perpetually late, fix that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Keep track of your schedule. Like I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, uh, I know people who've double booked themselves or forgotten about, um, a session or something because they didn't put it in their calendar. Like it's too easy to do nowadays, y'all. Like you've got to, you've got to be on top of the calendar. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I will say that is one thing I love about Apple products is like, um, because I got into this situation one time. I've been in both where this was back before. Uh, Androids probably have some kind of cloud thing now. Oh yeah. But basically, I had like all of my calendar events in my phone, and my phone got messed up, and I lost mm. everything, like oh, all my of my God. gigs. I was so stressed out. I was like, it was so embarrassing. I was like calling venues like, hey, did we have a gig coming up? Like, it was just bad. Yeah. So now, like, thankfully, if my phone goes bad, my computer has it. Right. Um, And like I said, I'm sure that's changed for Android, too. But don't be in that situation. Like, definitely have a backup for your calendar. That one should be obvious, but I've done it. (laughs) So, And it's super just like... It's scary and embarrassing to not know where you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then obviously Dustin's the king of this, just having like being prepared for any situation. Murphy's Law, yeah, have your checklist, yep. have yep. your, you know, have your backups for your backups, have your um, reflective vest for mm-hmm. if your tire goes flat, you know, just Bear life socks stuff. socks and underwear, you know. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're a musician or not. You should always keep a change of clothes in your car. Never never know when you're going to need that. <laughs> that change. is true. Yeah. I've also done that. <laughs> and it was really embarrassing. I like spilled food all over me. It was not good. Oh, no. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> anyway, we hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. We had a lot of fun doing this one. Um, hopefully, you have a good career as a freelance musician because it's, you know, it's a tough thing to get into, but with everything that we guys um, kind of like everything that we talked about today, it can make a big difference. Yeah. Um, You know, just help you out a little bit in this tough industry. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of sex, drugs and disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD podcast. Each episode is also available in video format on YouTube. And don't forget, Have fun, don't do too much, and it's gonna happen.